Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Give your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 16, week 11, message 11 in our series on the life of King Saul, toxic leadership, a study of the life of Saul, and probably three more messages. We'll see. Sometimes I get into them and the Lord gives me another thought. So I have a rough outline of series. And then uh, like this morning's message wasn't really in my outline and I just started studying Aquila and Priscilla. And so the series sometimes extend or then one that I had planned on, I kind of decide, ah, that doesn't make any sense. And we, we scrap it. So I never know exactly how long a series will go, but I'm thinking probably another three messages or so uh, in this series. And In this series, we've talked about some of the characteristics of toxic leadership. Why? Hopefully, to help us to be able to identify those mainly in our own lives so that we are more healthy Christians and leaders in whatever areas of influence God has given to us. And so if you're a husband, hopefully you'll be a more godly, wise, less toxic uh, leader in your household as a husband. If you're a wife, you'll be a godlier, more healthy wife. And if you're a parent, you'll be a godlier, more healthy parent to your children. Whatever it might be, that's been the main thrust is not necessarily to preach and say, oh yeah, I knew a really bad leader one time when I was in the military or my first job or in school, my principal, and we can just sit around and talk about the bad leaders we've known. That's not the purpose of the series, the purpose of the series is to realize that in all of us are the seeds of toxicity. We talked about the first week and we we illustrated the fact that everyone is under a variety of authorities and leaders in their lives from birth to the grave. And every one of those leaders is imperfect. And at times, some of them will fall somewhere on the spectrum of really, really unhealthy and or toxic. And, and it might be they've been a great leader in all of these areas, but there's this one area, this besetting sin, or this one episode or season in their leadership where for their interaction with you was toxic for your life. And so we've looked at that, and then not only understanding that, that we see that in others, but understanding that at times we may find ourselves, if we're honest, as that toxic leader in someone else's life. And so to learn from it. And uh, if, if you find yourself, and so we've been looking at uh, some of these tendencies or characteristics to, to identify them in our own lives so that we'll not repeat the destructive path that King Saul took in our own lives. But what about when you find yourself living or working or serving under toxic leadership? You've identified it, you see it, you know it's there, it's not healthy, maybe it's unscriptural if it's a spiritual leader, maybe it's just unhealthy or unwise if it's a secular leader at at work or at school or a boss or in government. You find yourself living, working, or serving under toxic leadership. What should our response be? And we're going to pick up the story where we left off last week. We went through the entire chapter, all 35 verses of chapter 15 last Sunday night. I want you to see chapter 15. Look at verse number 26. Chapter 15, let's read verse 26 aloud. 1 Samuel 15, verse number 26. Ready? Begin. 
And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Last Sunday night's message was how to destroy your life in four easy steps. And we looked at chapter 15, really a tragic chapter. Really the chapter where all of the bad directions and bad decisions in Saul's life culminate to really his destruction. The announcement is made, Samuel, the prophet of Israel, announces to the king of Israel, God has seen your dishonesty, God has seen your disobedience, God has seen your pride, God has seen your manipulation, God has seen your abuse of his people, and, and God has rejected you from being king over Israel. You've lied, you've manipulated, and God told him in verse 26, the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Look at verse 28. Notice it says, and Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and have given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Your time as king is done. Saul, your toxic leadership is over, but there's just one problem. He's still king. It was announced here in chapter 15, I'm taking the kingdom away and I'm giving it to David. I'm giving it to someone else. Now, David's not yet been identified by Samuel, but he's about to be in the study we're gonna have. So it's over. And maybe the people rejoice. The Bible says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Good, we got, we're getting rid of that prideful, manipulative, self-centered, self-serving king. It's great. And toxic leadership is going away. The only problem is God has announced he's no longer gonna be king. The only problem is he's still king. And not just for a week or two. And not just for a month or two, he still had authority. He still had power, and he would for several years after this chapter. I didn't say weeks. Well, you know, maybe you get a president in that you didn't vote for, or you don't like the way they're leading, and, and, and we've, you vote for a new president to come in. And in that time period from November to January, okay, we got to put up with, with this leadership for eight more weeks. And this wasn't eight more weeks till the new inauguration. This was years where God said, this is a toxic leader. I wish I had never made him king. I regret that I made him king. I repented of making him king. And, and you're no longer going to be king over Israel except in God's knowledge and in God's providence, he still allowed him to be king over Israel for years. What do you do if you're the children of Israel? What do you do if you're Samuel? What do you do if you're David? What do you do with your Jonathan? For years, they're going, to be, uh, they're going to be ordained by God to live under what God himself has identified as his toxic, ungodly leadership. That seems crazy. But maybe there are some things that God wants us to learn from seasons in our lives when we find ourselves in toxic relational environments. Look at the last verse that we looked at last week and we'll jump into our, our new text. Look at verse 35, the end of chapter 15. After all of this happened, Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death, a deep divide in their relationship. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel, Samuel mourned for Saul. Saul's toxicity had great, brought great heartache and heartbreak to someone that had loved him, invested in him, believed in him, served with him. And Samuel is mourning, the prophet mourning. Earlier in the chapter, it said he stayed up all night weeping, heartbroken. But now 
So we've identified King Saul's reign is done. His son won't sit on the throne. The throne, the kingdom is being taken from his family lineage. David is, there's going to be a new family sitting on the throne. The, the, the David and Christ is going to come from that lineage, the son of David. But it doesn't happen in days or weeks or months. God allows in his providence, God allows years of toxic leadership to continue. And I think in chapter 16, we're gonna see some things that can help us, whether it be at work or at home or at church or, or in school or in our family or extended family. Again, we talked about it. The seeds of toxicity are there in all of our lives. And you have undoubtedly have leader, had leaders that at times were unhealthy, maybe unscriptural and, and ungodly in their treatment of you. What do we do when we find ourselves, in, in, as the title of the message is, living under toxic leadership. Chapter 16, we're gonna learn a few keys specifically from Samuel and David about how we should live and how we should respond when living under toxic leadership. I want you to see in chapter 16, verse number one. Chapter 16, verse number one. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? A rhetorical question where God basically says to Samuel, how much more energy are you gonna waste focusing on Saul's shortcomings? How long are you gonna be throwing this pity party, Samuel? I've dealt with it. Now, it's, I'm not dealing it maybe in the exact way or timing that you want me to deal with it, but I've dealt with it. And here's the first thought when living under toxic leadership. Number one, stop focusing on the leader's shortcomings. Stop focusing on the leader's shortcomings. Samuel was heartbroken. He had been involved in Saul's rise to power, which Saul had mishandled so badly. And this brought Samuel great pain and great sorrow and great hurt. By the way, I believe Samuel was probably a heartbroken dad. His boys had been rejected from, being, from, from serving over Israel because of their wickedness. So he's heartbroken as a father. He's heartbroken as a priest. He's heartbroken as a leader of Israel. And what does God say? Yes, you, you have something to be mourning about, but how long are you going to make that your focus? How long is it your life going to be consumed with, well, that leader did me wrong. Well, that leader, did you see what they did there? And did you hear about the latest? And look at what Saul did there and how he mistreated the Israelites there. And did you hear about that decree he made? Nobody could eat anything while they were fighting. And he almost killed his son because his son ate a little honey. And, and, and their, your life can become consumed with that leader who has hurt you. And what does he say? God says to Samuel, stop focusing on the leader's shortcomings. God says to Samuel, basically, you can sit here in a pity party because your leader has really messed things up and it affects your life, or you can realize I am in control. He said it right here. How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? I'm in control. What are you worried about? Well, I'm strong enough, Saul, to Samuel, to take care of all of this. You're wasting your energy in mourning over Samuel, in mourning over the ways that he hurt you, in mourning over the ways that it disappointed you, in mourning over the pain that it brought to your life. You're wasting your time focusing on that leader's shortcomings. How long are you going to throw that pity party? Here's something we need to understand when it deals with imperfect leaders in our lives, of which every leader in our life is one. Number one, the closer you get to someone, the more flaws you will see. The closer you get to someone, the more flaws you will see. Guess what? If you've been married, you found things out about your spouse you didn't know when you were dating. Some good things, some bad things. 
or maybe imperfect things, negative things. The closer at work you go and the first day of work with the new boss and the new coworkers, everything's great. The longer you work there, guess what you find out? There's the one that's almost always late and there's the one that kind of drops the ball and there's the one that shades the truth and there's the one that, that, that's whatever. And the longer, the closer you get to someone, the more flaws you see. Why? Because we all have flaws. And as you get close to somebody, you're gonna see them and then human nature, the tendency secondly is the more flaws you see, the more you will be tempted to focus only on their flaws. I've talked about this before. When you're looking for something, you find it. You've heard me use the illustration. You buy a new car, Brother Javen, you recently got Connie a Subaru, surprise her, was that a birthday or anniversary or something, right? I'll guarantee it, Connie, since you got that new car, you see Subarus everywhere, am I right? And, and, and my wife likes the look of that car, and so now she, she saw one on the way to church, said, oh, I like, that's like Connie's car. But when you see something, I think she's throwing her hint, she wants Javen to get her one for her birthday too, all right, Brother Javen? And, because uh, I'm certainly not doing it. But, but, uh, but, but when you're, all of a sudden, you, if there's a new car that you're thinking about, or a used car, you're thinking about getting a certain model, you start to see it everywhere. And here's the danger in our relationships. Once your eyes have been opened to a flaw in somebody's life, if we're not careful, the tendency is the more we'll be tempted to focus only on their flaws. This can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a church. It can happen in a work environment, in a family, in a friend group. The closer you get, the more you'll see imperfections. And the more imperfections you see, it will seem like that becomes all that you can see. Everything that person does, everything they say, every perceived slight or misstep. If they text you, you're going to be reading into that text about how that builds into that narrative. If they don't text you, that's, that supports your, well, they are, they're mistreating me in the way that they didn't text me. And the email, the this or the that, every perceived slight or misstep just adds more wood to the fire of the picture you've painted in your mind of how terrible of a person they are. You'll begin to see some things, if this is your mentality, that aren't even there. Someone posts something on social media and you'll read between the lines to make it say things that person never intended for it to say. If it's a boss, you'll just dissect every statement in a staff meeting looking for confirmations to your belief that the boss is out to get you. If it's a spouse, everything they do will add fuel to the fire of your discontentment with them. That's why sometimes in relationships we say things like, I can't ever do anything right for you, can I? Why do we say that? Because we have allowed a narrative to come into this relationship that we believe they're always trying to find. It can happen with parents and children. They're always trying to find what's wrong with me. I'm always trying to find what's wrong with them. You'll stop seeing any good in that person's life and all gratitude for any investment they've made will be gone. And ultimately, when that becomes your mindset, ultimately, do you know who you're hurting? Yourself. When that becomes your mindset toward a, a leader that maybe has hurt you in your life or a relationship that maybe has hurt you or mistreated you or a parent that handled something wrong or, or a friend or a neighbor or a spouse or a boss or a coworker, when that becomes your mindset and everything you do is dissecting them to find out where they're wrong, do you know who you're really hurting? You're hurting yourself. 
it's creating bitterness and, and cynicism in your own life. Samuel here was hurting himself. He wasn't hurting Saul by being consumed over his grief for Saul's ungodly life and leadership. By the way, that word there, Samuel mourned, it's the idea of when we grieve over the death. Samuel was mourning over the death of a relationship in his life, over a partnership in his life. And God said to him, yes, you have justification to be sad, to be hurt. You have been hurt. You have been treated wrongly and Saul has handled this wrongly. But how long are you going to sit there mourning for Saul? How long is that going to consume your focus? When are you going to get your eyes back onto me? I can handle this. Get your focus off of that leader's shortcoming. Stop the pity party. Stop the crusade to get even or hurt that person that hurt you. And look at the next thing that God says. I like it right here in chapter 16. He says in the middle of chapter 16, verse 1, the next after the question mark of Israel, what are the next five words? Fill thine horn with what, church? Fill thine horn with what? With oil. Oh, I like that little phrase. Here's what do you do when you're living under, under toxic leadership. Number one, number one, stop focusing on the leader's shortcomings. Number two, recharge yourself personally and spiritually. Recharge yourself personally and spiritually. What did he say? Hey, Samuel, remember that horn you used to anoint King Saul? Go fill your horn with oil. In the Bible, often, oil is a type or a picture of the Spirit of God. It's when there's oil, when oil runs out, it's a, it shows there's a spiritual dearth. And when there's oil, you'll see it's one reason they anointed with oil. Look at, look at verse 13. You'll see it right here in verse 13 of this chapter. 1613. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the breath of his brethren. And what does it say? And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Oil was a type or a picture of, of the power of God, the presence of God, the spirit of God. And, and, and it doesn't mean there's anything magic in the oil, but you'll see that all through scripture, often when oil is talked about, it's a picture of, of the spirit of God. I believe as, as he says, fill thine horn with oil. Oil. What is he saying? Get back, recharge yourself spiritually. Get back to where you're supposed to be. You've allowed this situation with, with Saul to deplete you, to disillusion you, to, to discourage you. You've allowed it to consume you, and you have justification for it. But how long are you going to sit here mourning for Saul? Go fill your horn with oil. Get recharged. Get filled back up. I can deal with Saul. Samuel, don't let that keep you from living the life that I want you to live. The mistakes of Saul, don't let them become the mistakes of Samuel. Don't let Saul's mistakes, often I coach basketball, and I'll tell our guys, they miss a layup, and a lot of times if they miss a layup or make a stupid play, they'll, they'll either not hustle back, they'll kind of walk back, and the other team will get an easy layup, or if they get mad about the ref missing a call, they'll come back and they'll end up doing a stupid foul on the other end, and I'll say, guys, don't compound one mistake with another. You just made a mistake on one end of the floor, don't make a second mistake because of that. I think that's kind of what God's saying here. Saul has made a mistake on one end of the floor. Samuel, don't come in response and make another mistake on the other end of the floor. Recharge yourself. When the oil runs dry, it's symbolism that we are spiritually empty. God is telling Saul, stop worrying. I'm sorry, Samuel, stop worrying about what's wrong with Saul and recommit yourself in your own personal journey to get back on track. Look at what he says. Fill thine horn with oil. And the next verb, and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king 
among his sons. Samuel's still going to be living under toxic leadership for several years. And you know what God told him? Stop focusing on your leader's shortcomings. Recharge yourself personally and spiritually. Number three, keep fulfilling your God-given role. Keep doing what God calls you to do. Go. You went, and, you went and, and anointed Saul as king. I've got a new king for you to go find. I've got, get your horn filled with oil. I've got a work for you to do for the future of the nation of Israel. I'm not done using you as a spiritual leader. Get your eyes, and this is key. What does he say? Get your eyes off of who has hurt you and get your eyes onto who you can help. Do you see it there? Samuel, get your eyes off of who has hurt you, King Saul. Get your eyes on who you can still help, the next king, King David. He hasn't met him yet. He doesn't know his name. But what is he saying? Get your eyes off of the one that's hurt you and get your eyes, number one, on the one who can help you. But then, humanly speaking, get your eyes on those you can help through the hurt you've experienced. Keep, don't, keep fulfilling your God-given role. Here's the reality. You and I can't control, and those under my leadership can't control what the leader in our lives do or don't do. What we can control is how we respond and what we do, what we focus on, how we live for God. And this is where we often make a mistake. When someone else in our lives has failed in their God-given roles and hurt us in one way or another, here's what we often mistakenly believe. We mistakenly believe, even when we don't say it, the way that we live shows that we believe this, we mistakenly believe that that justifies us. This person, this person has, has failed in their God-given role, so that justifies me to respond by failing in my God-given role in response to their hurt. This one, failed in their God-given role, so now I get to fail in my God-given roles because I've been hurt in response. That's not what God told Samuel. Fill your horn and go. Get your eyes off Saul. Get your eyes off the one that's hurt you. Get your eyes on the one you can help. Get your eyes on those over there. And if we're not careful, we believe, well, I'm justified. I can develop a bitter spirit because you don't know how they mistreated me. I can be unkind to them, that person, because they were unkind to me. Do you see it there? That person failed in their God-given role, so it justifies my failure in my God-given role. I can gossip about them because they lied about me. If we're not careful when hurt by a toxic relationship in our lives, we'll become like the one who has hurt us. We will turn into some of the very things that we despise about how they've treated us. It has been said before, hurt people hurt people. Now that's not necessarily true because everybody's been hurt. Hurt people who don't learn to forgive hurt people. But why why do we say that statement, hurt people, hurt people? Because the tendency when we've been hurt is instead of saying, well, I don't want everyone, anyone else to experience what I've just been through, it's, well, if I have to go through that, then somebody else does too. I've been hurt at work, I'm gonna take it out on my wife at home. I've been hurt at home, I'm gonna take it out on my extended family. I've been hurt by my extended family, I'm gonna take it out on my kids. I've been hurt by my kids, I'm gonna take it out on, on that fellow church member. I, I've been hurt by a pastor, I'm gonna, and we can, and we, if we're not careful, we justify our ungodly response because of someone else's ungodly response to us. 
We justify our ungodly actions because we've experienced ungodly actions from someone else. God tells Samuel right here, I'm, not, I'm done with King Saul, but I'm not done with him. He's not king anymore, but he's still king for a few years. Here's what I want you to do when you're living under toxic leadership. Go fulfill your God-given role. Go find a king that I have for you, whether it's at work, at home, online, in school, at church, wherever you've been hurt, church family, don't seek revenge. Seek God's grace and strength to keep doing what God has called you to do. Don't get consumed by your pain or your bitterness gets consumed by God. God's grace and forgiveness. Let's read most of the rest of the chapter and wrap it up with two last thoughts. Verse number two. Verse number two, see it here? So he tells him to go find a king. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. Do you see that? There's, there's still some pretty serious ramifications in Samuel's heart based on the toxic leadership he's been under. I'm scared to do what God's called me to do because I think Saul has the power to put me to death. That toxic leadership does have real life implications in our lives and in our responses. He tells God, I'm scared to death to do what you've asked me to do. How am I gonna do that? If Saul hears that I'm going out, he's gonna kill me. He's not gonna let me anoint somebody else to be a king. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. So you're gonna go over there and you're gonna go and perform a, a sacrifice, which as a priest, that's your job. You're not gonna tell everybody, you're not gonna make an announcement, I'm coming to find a new king. You're gonna go make a sacrifice. Verse three, and call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show thee what thou shalt do and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, comest thou peaceably? You have to understand, the last time that the king and the priest had been together, remember last week, what had Saul done? He had pulled out a knife and he had chopped up King Agag into pieces. That was a very clear statement. I do not endorse King Saul and his actions and the way he handled this was wrong. And, and it was clear to Saul that Samuel was separating. He had told him, you're no longer gonna be king. And he's done with him. So now the, the Samuel comes to town and they're scared to death. We don't, we don't want no beef. We don't want any trouble here. Oh, are you sure you're coming here? Cause I, we don't need Saul coming in here and getting mad at us. And they're, they're scared to death. Why are you coming? What's going on? Are you bringing your, your, your conflict over here with Saul? Are you bringing that to us? Are you bringing us? Don't bring me into your battle. That's basically what they're saying. And notice what he says, verse five. And he said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab. This is interesting. You see, I circled in my Bible those two words. He looked and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Samuel didn't learn from his mistake. Well, it wasn't really a mistake, but he, he didn't learn. He still thought the one that looked the best was God's plan. That's what Saul was, head and shoulders above the rest. He looked the part. So Samuel is still kind of looking on the outward. He didn't learn his lesson, if you will. Verse, verse number seven, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Nope, not him. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. He said, nope, not him. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, 
Is this all your kids? Like, this doesn't make sense. It's supposed to be one of your boys, and you brought all your kids, and God said no to all of them. Is this everybody? And, uh, and it says, uh, uh, verse number 11, and, the, and, and he said, well, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit till he come, down till he comes hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel, the most unlikely one, by the way, is sometimes the one that God uses. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. David has now been anointed as the future king of Israel. He knows God has chosen him to be king. He's anointed him. The spirit of the Lord, his life changed that day. And yet, for whatever reason, God is still going to let him spend years under the toxic leadership of Saul. Years running through the caves, running from Saul, hiding in caves. Years trying to spare his life. Continue on, if you will, verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord, as soon as the Spirit of the Lord had come on David, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul in an evil spirit, toxic leadership. An evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit. They could see it. Those that were around him could see a change in his life. An evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. That's a good idea. Yes, guys, help me out. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, a comely person. The Lord is with him. I know this one guy, he's amazing, Saul. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. David was a faithful servant to this toxic leader. The only reason David's coming into his life is because Saul was not a healthy leader. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David, I pray thee, stand before me. Let him stay here. I don't want to send him home. For he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him. We see here, the last two thoughts I'd like to give you. David, who's already been anointed king, by God's providence is now going to be exposed to this toxic leader. It's going to become his father-in-law. He's going to marry one of Saul's sons. Not, not sons, daughters. He's going to marry one of Saul's daughters. Jonathan, Saul's son, is going to become his best friend. And yet this man is going to try to kill him over and over again. After. Now, this after God's told David, you're the next king. Again, don't just read words on a page. Put yourself in that. God's rejected Saul. Saul has not gotten better. He's gotten worse after God rejected him. He's accepted David, and yet God still asks and allows and directs David to live within this toxic kingdom. And the last two thoughts, number four, what do we do when living under toxic leadership? Number four, do whatever you can to help the toxic leader in your life. I'm not talking about a dysfunctional enablement where you enable an abuser or their sinfulness. 
If someone is abusive or criminal, obviously proper steps should be taken. But we're talking about the leader that at times gets out of bounds and mishandles some things, which we all do. If you have the ability to be used of God to be a blessing to that leader, do that. And God will bless you for it. What did David do? I have something I can do that's a blessing to him in a time when he's not really well. I'm gonna do what I can. What did David do? And we'll look at, we've looked at some of it already. We'll look at some more of it. When he's running from him and Saul's tried to kill him twice, javelin against the wall, Saul's put a bounty on his head. What did David do? Over and over and over again. He did good when Saul did evil. He spared Saul's life when he could have killed him. Do whatever you can to help that toxic leader in your life. Seems like I remember somebody in the New Testament in Matthew saying, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Don't you remember? Anybody remember who, who said that? Jesus. That's easy preaching, hard living, isn't it? Maybe your Christ-like spirit and godly love in their lives will be used of God to open their eyes to areas that they need to change. And again, I understand there are times we need to remove ourselves from toxic situations. By the way, David's gonna remove himself from this toxic situation. It's, he, he hadn't planned on it, but when a javelin came at his head, he removed himself and kept going. There are times for our health, for our, our whatever it might be, we need to remove ourselves from toxic situations. But just because we remove ourselves does not justify us to seek revenge, does not justify us to hurt. And, and David will do that in the coming chapters. I'm not saying that we need to be some kind of a sadist who just becomes a lifelong victim of ungodly or unhealthy or abusive leadership. What I am saying is that it is never right to actively seek to hurt someone who has hurt you. Let me say that again. What I am saying is that it is never right to actively seek to hurt someone who has hurt you. May God help all of us to have more of David's spirit when somebody has hurt us. And the last thought when you are living under toxic leadership, number five, trust God's timing. Verse 13, David finds out he's king. And he doesn't get any of the benefits of that announcement for years. His life gets worse after that announcement, humanly speaking. He's on the run with a band of misfits for years. Saul's, the, the, the most powerful person in Israel, is actively seeking his assassination. And how did David respond? Trusted God's timing. God's in control. David didn't stage a coup. He didn't seek to kill Saul. I'm sure he didn't understand, God, why would you anoint me king and then let me spend years running for my life and hiding in caves? That makes no sense. But in hindsight, God was using all of that to teach David and prepare him and work his plan together. Here's a last thought I leave you with tonight. God is big enough to use the hurts in your life to ultimately help you and many others. Trust God's timing. He'll remove Saul when he needs to remove Saul. He'll take care of Saul when he needs to take care of Saul. And when you're Saul, repent and turn around when you're the one mistreating people. See that in your life. But when you're living under toxic leadership, and all of us probably have or will, and if we're leaders for any length of time, all of us on some level of that spectrum will be that leader. 
when you find that and your, your parents are that or your children are that or your spouse is that or your boss is that or your coworker is that or your teacher is that or your pastor is that or your fellow church member is that, your extended family is that, whatever it might be, what do we do when we find ourselves in those situations? Stop making your whole focus to dissect every shortcoming of that leader. Get your focus off that. Recharge yourself personally and spiritually. Fill thine horn with oil and go. Keep fulfilling your God-given role. In basketball, we say it this way. People are talking trash and saying stuff. I'll tell my guys, let the scoreboard do the talking. You don't need to talk back. Somebody's making fun of you, yelling at you, this or that, and you're winning. And it's like, hey, I'll tell my guys, especially if we're winning, it's been a hard-fought game. It gets a little dirty. It gets a little chippy at the end of the game. I'll say, hey, guys, nothing stupid, nothing dirty. Don't retaliate. Let the scoreboard do the talking. What am I saying? Stay focused on what you're supposed to be as a player. Don't get dragged down into their garbage. Can I say in your personal life, at work, in your spiritual life, let your life do the talking. You don't have to defend yourself. Samuel didn't have to defend his decisions against Saul. Let your faithfulness, let your joy, let your integrity, let your, your humility, and, and in time, God will see that and God will bless that. And in time, that soft answer, God will use it to heap coals of fire upon that one that's hurt you maybe. And you don't need to heap the coals of fire. God can do that if he wants to in his time. Let the scoreboard do the talking. Keep doing, keep fulfilling your God-given role. Do whatever you can to help the toxic leader in your life. And again, don't misread that, that I mean you need to stay in an abusive situation. David removed himself from that scenario, but he didn't seek revenge. And then lastly, trust God's timing. Which one of those areas did God speak to you about tonight? You find yourself, and all of us will at times, and all of us will be that at times, in a situation that's not as healthy as it should be. We should seek to follow these things we see in chapter 16. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.